Hello everyone, welcome to The Joel Show and our vibrant meetup community. I'm your host, Joel, and you're tuning into another insightful episode on our YouTube channel, Joel Buzz. If you haven't already, make sure to check out the links in our description or simply scan the QR code to stay connected with our community. Today, we're diving into a fascinating theme understanding how to use the Kano model with real-world examples. This model is a game-changer, especially in the realms of product development and customer satisfaction. And we're here to decode it for you step by step. And who better to guide us through this journey than our esteemed guest? He's not just an expert, he's a maestro when it comes to the Kano model. With his rich insights and practical wisdom, he's here to transform the way you perceive product features and customer delight. This episode was especially curated for you, our brilliant ensemble of agile coaches, release train engineers, scrum masters, product owners, project managers, and product managers. Whether you're starting your journey or looking to brush up on your knowledge, Today's episode is a gateway to mastering the Kano model from the ground up. So without further ado, let's welcome our distinguished guest, Michael. It's an absolute pleasure to have you with us today. Thanks for having me because I'm always very happy to talk about the, the Kano model. It's uh, one of my favorite tools uh, that I use. I'm a, I'm a strategy consultant, an independent strategy consultant from Belgium. Uh, I work mainly with B2B uh, customers uh, on everything that has to do with uh, fine-tuning their offering, uh, translating uh, their services and their products to more digital versions or, or improving their digital versions. And that also means that you have to talk a lot with their customers. So I'm in a lot of customer discovery and I found many years ago that the Kano model was really one of the few methods, not only for prioritization, but also for other means that really takes into account the customer perspective. And that's why I love it so much, because it's, it's, a, it's a great way of making decisions or, or making, let's say, confident decisions that you're building the right things, that you're doing the right things for those customers. What I'll do is I'll explain a little bit first about what it actually is, what the, what the Kano model is, what, it, what it's about. Uh, second, uh, how it works, how the surveys work, because I, I'm sure listeners know or have already encountered the Kano model here or there. They know that it's something to do with surveying. And thirdly, uh, especially what you can do with the outcomes of these surveys, what, what, what the value is of the, of the Kano model. So first of all, the Kano model is really a way of categorizing the relationship between the performance of a feature of your product and uh, the customer's satisfaction. And that relation can be categorized in different ways. Uh, one way uh, is uh, um, what is called the natural way or the must-be category, and that's for features where customers think it is natural that it's there, that it's there in your products. Uh, let's say, for example, you buy a new TV, you open the box and there's no remote control, you're very dissatisfied because you expect the remote control to be there. You expect the remote control, the TV to come with a remote control. If there are two remote controls, for example, you're not more satisfied. 
So that's one relationship between performance or presence of a feature and the impact on customer satisfaction. If it's not there, if you're dissatisfied or if it, if it underperforms, a car that doesn't break very well, you're dissatisfied. If it is there or performs well, you're not more satisfied. The classic example is a restaurant table. If there's a sold seller, you're, it's okay. That's what you expect. If there's no sold seller on the table, you're dissatisfied. If there are three sold sellers on the table, you say, what is this? That, this, this doesn't make you happier. So that's one category of features, which is called the must-be features, and the name says it all. It means that it must be part of your product. If, if people consider this to be a must-be feature, it must be part of your product. I prefer the name natural because that explains it a little bit better in terms of people consider this natural, like they consider it the norm. A TV comes with a remote control. A second category or a second type of relation between the performance or presence of a feature and um, the impact on uh, customer satisfaction is what is called the one-dimensional features or the performer features. And those are features that simply put are the more there is of it, the better. Suppose you are Dropbox and you or you are one, one of Dropbox competitors. If you're offering free storage, I think it's pretty reasonable to think that customers would think that the more free storage they get when signing up, the more satisfied they will be, the less free storage they will get, the less satisfied they will be. So you see, there's a difference here in relationship between presence or performance of this particular feature and the impact that it has on customer satisfaction. It's pretty simple here. It's, that's why it's called one-dimensional. There's a direct relation between the performance of the feature and customer satisfaction. There are five categories. The third category is what is called the attractor or the nice to have category. Some people also call this the delighter category. And there it's if the feature is not present or if the feature underperforms, people are not dissatisfied, but they are satisfied or satisfaction grows with the feature performance. Again, simple example. Um, here it says you can control the TV with gestures. That's something that people don't expect, but where they say, oh, that's 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 a nice to have. That's something that I, I, I could use. So if it's there, I am more satisfied, but I wouldn't miss it if it's not there. If we would, for example, take the example of uh, a Dropbox again, suppose, and it's the case, but let's go back a few years, that you get a nice a photo album of all the pictures that are in your Dropbox accounts, that would typically be an attractor feature where people say, I wouldn't miss it if it's not there, but I think it's great that it's there. So it increases satisfaction by uh, its presence. A fourth category is the category or, of the indifference and there the relation between satisfaction and performance is zero. There is no relation. People don't care about this feature. Uh, let me continue the example of Dropbox. Let's say you would be able to sort the files in your directory by the length of the file name. That would really be something where if it's there or if it's not there, it has no impact whatsoever on customer satisfaction. This is an interesting category, but I'll come back to that later when I talk about how to interpret um, how people categorize features. The last category is the reverse category, which is in fact, simply put, the more there is of it, the more people will hate it. 
suppose you're uh, building a TV and you've come up with the great idea of adding a bar on top of the TV where it continuously so shows ads. That would typically be a reverse category where people say the more we have of this or the more this is present in this TV, the less I will like this TV, the more I will hate this, um, this, uh, this feature. And the less there is of it or the less it performs, the more satisfied I will be with the TV. Again, an interesting category, but I'll talk about that in a second as well, what you can do when you see that a feature falls into this category. Now, the question is, of course, how does a feature get categorized? Uh, some features you can instinctively feel, well, I think this could be a must-be feature, like, for example, the remote control for the TV. But for other things, of course, it's less, less clear. Uh, even simple things like a navigation system in a car, uh, it used to be something where my dad, for example, would be neutral about, where he would say, I don't care about this because he didn't, hadn't experienced the value of it yet. Today, he'd say, I wouldn't buy a car without a navigation system. But younger people are saying, I don't need a navigation system anymore. I have my phone. I want Apple Car or Android Auto in my car. I don't need a, a built-in navigation system. So it's not easy to know who will put what feature into what category. And that's why the surveying method was developed by the, 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 the person who developed the Kano method, which was a, a Japanese professor and business consultant called Noriaki Kano. He made it or developed it in the 80s. Uh, so it's a pretty solid <laughs> and old, but solid uh, method. It's been researched a lot as well. I've, left, uh, I've, I've been reading a lot of research papers where people have been using the Kano model to study, oh, uh, to develop many things. And that's something that I want to say as well about the model. Don't think it can't be used because everything you undertake can be made better using the Kano model. I've seen it being used for small mobile applications. I've seen it being used to, to design complete airline services. To, 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 I've seen it being used for very abstract things, for very tangible things, for NASA training programs. Whatever you can think of, the Kano model helps you because it really shows you how a customer feels, how a customer perceives the value of a feature of something that you're doing. Be that a product, be that a service, be digital, be it physical, it doesn't matter. It really helps you understand better how customers react to your features and how they feel about it. Now, how do you know that? It's pretty simple, in fact, and uh, I'm, I'm pretty sure most of the listeners have already seen these types of surveys. The format is that you ask two questions about your feature. You ask what is called the functional version of your feature, which is uh, the way it works. Like, for example, the TV comes with a remote control, so it is the functional version. And what is called the dysfunctional version. The TV doesn't come with a remote control, for example. It doesn't have to be that black and white. I've seen studies where people, for example, on um, public transport, where the functional version of the question was the trains always arrive on time. The dysfunctional version was the trains don't always arrive on time. It's not that they never arrive on time, but it's they don't always arrive on time. So the way you ask your question is very important because what you're really asking about is how people feel about what you're telling them. So let's take a simpler example, a TV with a remote control. You ask your, your, your customers, how would you feel if this were present? And they can only answer or give an answer out of five options. They can say, 
I like it. They can say I expect it. I don't care or I am neutral about it. I'm not too fond of the I don't care because it has an air of, let's say, dismissiveness, ne negativity in there. I, I prefer something like I'm neutral. Uh, fourth option that they can choose is I can tolerate it or I accept it in the sense that I'm not particularly fond of it, but okay, there's nothing that can be done about it. And the fifth option that they have is I dislike it. They give one of these five answers to the functional version of your question or of your feature, and they give one of the same five answers uh, on the dysfunctional version. And it's in fact the combination of these two answers that show you where your feature is in terms of categories, where in fact how the relationship is between feature performance or presence and the, the satisfaction of the customer. And let's take this example of uh, the TV comes with a remote control where somebody says uh, about the functional version. So if it were there, that they would expect it. And if it were not there, that they would dislike it. And the way you know what category a feature is, is you just simply look it up in a lookup table that also Noriaki Kano developed. And as you see here in this lookup table, the expect answer to the presence of the feature combined with the dislike answer to the absence of the feature uh, leads it to an M, a must-be feature. Meaning that if people expect this to be present and they dislike its absence, well, it's a natural feature. You should uh, think hard about including this in your product or keeping it in uh, in your product. A quick thing about these surveys: it's very very easy to think about. Wow, this is something that we can do online. We can just uh, make this survey, send it out to a thousand people, and collect the answers. I would be careful about that. What I like to do in yeah, I think I've been using the Kano model for about seven to eight years now. And I found that it's really, really important to talk one-on-one -on -one with customers first, using the Kano survey format as a guideline to discuss the features that you're planning or the features that you have in your product or the features that you want to ask about. Why? Because although this is a, a very, it looks like a very quantitative model where you get numbers if you ask the same question to hundreds of people, you can tally up the results and say, okay, 80% of the people of our customers believe this is a must-be feature, 70% think it's this and that, and so on. Although there are numbers, it's really a qualitative method because you have to understand why they are giving the answer that they're giving. Like, for example, my dad, when he said, I don't care about the navigation system in a car so many years ago, that was not because he didn't really care, it was because he hadn't already experienced the value of a navigation system. The moment he drove a car that had a built-in navigation system, he was sold on the system. So don't just think in terms of, okay, let's send it out and do a quantitative study. No, what I like to do is really talk with about 15 to 20 people in depth about the features make sure they understand what I'm asking of them, the functional and dysfunctional version, make sure they understand what they are, what their response is. I'm not telling them what category their responses will fall into. I'm just asking them, how do you feel about this? How do you feel about that? And um, 
This helps me tweak my questions for when I need to have more answers because online you can't explain what, what you're asking about and people have a tendency to see different meanings in whatever you're writing. So you really can use the live interviews first as a way of perfecting your questions but also of understanding why are people giving me these answers because the why as we all know as product managers is very important in uh, in anything that you do that has to do with, uh, with customer discovery so live interviews are, uh, are, uh, are the best way to start don't do it with 100 people 15 to 20 is really really even a lot because after a while you already see patterns emerging and so on uh, and if you need more numbers, management typically says, well, 15 to 20 people, that's not enough. If you need more numbers, go for an online survey. Uh, make sure it's good based on what you have been talking about with your customers and add those numbers to that. So that's really uh, my advice with regards to surveying. Another uh, aspect about the questions is don't make it too technical. Really focus on the outcome. Uh, don't say, how would you like to have an infrared device that you could control the TV with and it works with beams and whatever. People don't care. It's really, how would you feel if you could control the TV remotely? That's the good question. They don't care how it works. They care about the outcome. And that's the outcome of your feature that you should ask about how do you feel about that? How do you feel if it's not there? Now, <clears throat> sorry, I've just talked about what it is, what the essence of the Kano model is or the Kano model is. I also talked about how do you know where your features fall into, in what categories they fall into, and how can you do that? What the survey format is like. Now, what do you do with the outcomes? And I've just given created an example here let's say give the example of dropbox again and let's say you've done a survey you've talked to your customers and it turns out that the feature automatically syncing files across devices is something that people consider a must be which is pretty logical it's uh, instinctively we know that's the case i'm taking easy examples here so it means that they are not dissatisfied, uh, not more satisfied if it's present, but it, it, they would be dissatisfied if it's absent. So it's a category, it's a must-be feature. What does that mean in terms of prioritization? It means that you have to work on must-be features first, because if it's not there, people will be dissatisfied whatever else you do, because they've considered your product not complete part of the things that they come to expect from a product like yours are not in there. What they expect from a TV that it comes with remote control, if it's not there, they will be very dissatisfied to send the TV back. So these are the first things that you have to work on, the must-be features. There's a little bit of nuance there because you don't have to work on, on these features, let's say, infinitively, in terms of you don't have to make them perform incredibly well must be features as i said do not create more satisfaction the more they perform or the more present they are two remote controls is not necessary one is enough and it's therefore that it's very interesting to talk with your customers about how they feel about a certain feature because then you can understand what the threshold is where is that line between satisfaction and dissatisfaction in the case of a remote control is pretty easy to understand but for example in the case of 
syncing of files if you are Dropbox, it's not that it's because you want to know about the speed. Do they believe that if it's one day, it will come on another device whenever they upload something to, to Dropbox, Dropbox, that's okay? Or are they really thinking in terms of, yeah, I want, I want it to be on my phone the minute or the second I upload it on my computer, for example, or through my computer, for example. So there is a threshold there because you don't have to, if you are, for example, Dropbox, you don't have to invest in making syncing faster and faster and faster because it could be that they don't care about the speed. They are happy if it's if it's just synced, if the files are just synchronized. Also, from a marketing perspective, these are also the things that you shouldn't talk about a lot because people expect them. I remember a telecommunications company here in Belgium that was making a lot of brouhaha about the fact that they now supported eSIMs. And on Reddit and Twitter, people were saying, yeah, well, you're the last ones to include it. What are you talking about? So don't don't start uh, marketing features that are must be features. Don't include them in your marketing communication. People won't care about that because they expect them anyway. It will be, feel strange that you are doing that. On the other hand, for the one-dimensional features, the performer features, the features where the more, the better, and where people are more happy, the more you have of this feature, the better it performs. Those are the things that products compete on. So this is really the second layer of priorities for your roadmap. Um, I gave you the example of Dropbox, where part of the storage is free. Well, we've seen that race where more and more storage was being given for free to new subscribers. And that's really because it's a one-dimensional feature. It attracts more customers. The better you do this, your product is being perceived as more valuable, the better these features perform. So in terms of roadmapping, in terms of prioritization, if you are able to beat the competition on these features, well, invest in it, go for it. Uh, and the same goes for marketing. If your product is better on some of these features, talk to uh, talk about it to the customers, talk to talk about it to uh, to the market, make it best in class. Third category, again, third level of prioritizations uh, or of prioritization are the attract categories. So the ones that are delighters, things that people didn't expect, but like the, the moment they see it. Like, for example, the automatic creation of photo albums in Dropbox. If you can see that it's something where you say, oh, this would really make my product stand out from the rest. It's true that people wouldn't miss it, but it wouldn't take a lot of time. Or uh, we have this already lying about. We had this idea already. Let's just put it in and put it in the roadmap. Do it because it would make your your product distinct, uh, distinct from what is on on the market it, be, it would be that that little extra that doesn't attract customers in droves but it keeps them and it says oh that's a nice surprise and so on so you hear here here you also hear that it's not the most important thing it must be the most important thing but if you have time if you have effort, um, resources left if you have um, uh, money left um, to, to 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 work on it do it because it can really make your product shine the indifferent category is really a special category, as I said before, because it could be that you shouldn't look at building the features that people consider or are neutral about, that they consider not valuable at all. If it's there or not there, I don't care. But it could be that it's because they haven't 
experienced its value yet. So from a marketing perspective, or for example, an onboarding perspective for your product, it could be worth it showing this feature anyway, or building this feature anyway, because you believe in it, because you talk to customers and they said, ah, but now that you explain it this way, I can see why, what the value could be. Try and attract their attention to it and see if it works or doesn't work. So the, the, the main message here about the indifferent category of features is don't just dismiss them. It could be that they are indifferent about it because they don't know it. They haven't experienced what it could mean for them yet. And the last one, the reverse categories, remember the ads, for example, or in the case of Dropbox, you could say, oh, we'll add a feature because uh, storage costs so much, we'll add a feature that files will be deleted after 30 days of not being viewed. That would probably be a reverse feature if you would ask or do your survey and people say, oh, don't do this, I don't like this. The reverse features also are an interesting, let's say, inspiration for the reverse, for really thinking about, hmm, maybe we could build something out of this that creates a lot of satisfaction. Like for example, the TV with the ads on top, people will probably consider that as something they hate, so it would be a reverse feature, but why not think then of a TV that has a built-in ad blocker? So things that fall into the reverse category, you shouldn't feel bad about them because they tell you Maybe if you turn it around, it could be, become something very valuable. In case of Dropbox, instead of deleting files, maybe you could say, we'll keep your, your files indefinitely, even after three nuclear wars, for example, your files will still be on our servers or uh, accessible. So that's really the way the Kano model can be used in terms of product development, uh, product management, prioritization of features, marketing of features, and also in terms of thinking about these features because it's not always the case that the more is the better. That was in fact the big frustration of Noriaki Kanu and why he developed this method because he felt that a lot of engineers, product people were too much focused on the more features there are, the, 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 the better they perform, the more valuable the product is. And that's not the case. And his model was really built to show that, to show, look, there are variations, there are uh, different relationships, relationships between feature presence or performance and customer satisfaction. And his model is really simple to use. It, there's a lot of nuance there. It's not as quantitative as you might think it is, but it's really simple to use. And the fact of simply using it is already enough to learn a lot about your customer. Even if you're thinking, am I doing this right? Is this, is this the right way of doing it? It doesn't matter. Just the model, the framework, is already uh, very valuable in and of itself. I won't go over this one, but uh, I'll conclude with really the value of the Kano model. And I think I've already touched upon that, of course. It's in terms of prioritization. It's in terms of what features of your product should you be shouting about and what features should you think twice about. But it also I've seen in organizations and even pretty old school organizations that it's a very good way of introducing customer-centric mindset. And that's really because those numbers are there. Management loves love numbers and they're very happy to see that there is a framework, a model to quantify, uh, quantify sorry, the voice of the customer. Um, NPS is one way, of course, but the Kano model really, really focuses on features of a product and it really drives uh, decisions in terms of 
how much are we going to spend on this in terms of people, in terms of money, in terms of time. Uh, it helps you give great insights for marketing as well, for any kind of marketing. Uh, and it also, and that's something that we don't have time to talk about now, but it's a very important aspect. It also helps you find segments in your customer base that you didn't expect. I'll give a very quick, simple example. If you're talking about the braking power of a car, a regular driver is happy with reasonable performance. A race car driver is, of course, something else. They will uh, categorize aspects of braking, features that have to do with the braking of the car completely differently than a regular Sunday driver, let's say. That's pretty obvious, but I've seen in many of the Kano studies that we did, and also thanks to being able to talk to the, the customers who were filling in the survey, that there are segments in customer bases that you wouldn't have thought of, thought of up front. And then by looking at how people categorize a feature, you can say, ah, okay, but these people are, let's say, digitally less, less mature. And that's why they don't like these features. And these people are people that are behind computers all the time, all by their lives. And that's why they like these. So segments are a big, uh, let's say, uh, unexpected benefits. Being able to segment your customer base is a big unexpected benefit of the Kano model as well. And that concludes the quick, 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 quick introduction to uh, the Kano model. I hope it was uh, not too fast and not too, uh, let's say, too much. But um, if anyone has any questions about it, I'm always very happy to help. Just shoot me an email at kano at proofofthepudding.be. That's, uh, that's, uh, that's my company name. So kano at proofofthepudding.be. And I'll be uh, very happy to hear about any questions, struggles you have with the Kano model and so on. I can tell I've been using it for eight years and I still discover new things. So it's a very deep thing uh, as well. So I'm pretty sure that people who are uh, eager to start using it right now will come up with a lot of things where they say, huh, how does this work? And uh, what does this mean? And how should I tackle this uh, issue? What's one thing that you want to leave with us um, about well, the Kano model? Well, you know, when I discovered it, I, I discovered it because I had uh, a client who was building a B2B customer portal for distributors. And he was struggling with prioritization. And I was looking at how can we prioritize this? And I've always been somebody who really, really, really wants to implicate the end user. So I wanted to talk to these distributors. But what I always did, I was, I was always talking to customers and so on, customers of my customers. But I was really thinking, how can I prioritize features? And then I've fell onto the Kano model and I was really in love with it because it's one really one of the very few methods that incorporates in a structured way that customer voice and that's what makes it so powerful. Wasn't that just phenomenal? Michael's insights are a treasure trove for anyone looking to excel in product management and customer experience. I hope you found this session as enlightening as I did. Before we wrap up, a quick reminder. If you love this episode, don't forget to subscribe to our mailing list and join our meetup community for more amazing content. You'll find the links below and in my bio. 
And of course, a huge thank you for watching and subscribing. Your support fuels our passion to bring more valuable episodes your way. Until next time, keep innovating, keep inspiring, and keep tuning into The Joel Show. Take care.